Amen. All right. Well, we are going to be in Genesis chapter 39 today, so I invite you to open up your Bibles there. Just a little bit of background if for some reason uh, you haven't made it on a Sunday here during this series, but we're following the life of Joseph. Joseph is one of the sons of Israel, also known as Jacob, and because Joseph was a favored son, his brother grew jealous towards Joseph, and they sold him into slavery, and Joseph eventually made his way out of Israel into the land of Egypt, where he was sold into the house of Potiphar. Potiphar was a guard within the Egyptian military, and it's there that he was the captain of the guard, and it's there that Joseph finds himself. Uh, Because of Joseph's good skills and organization, Potiphar trusts Joseph to organize his household. And it's there in Genesis 39, 6 that we now pick up. So if you would, follow along as I read. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now, wouldn't it be nice if you can find somebody in your life that you don't have to concern yourself with anything other than the food you eat? That's a pretty good deal. Now, Joseph was well-built and handsome, and after a while, his master's wife, uh uh-oh, took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. This lady's probably as subtle as a gun here, right? (laughs) In verse 8 says, But he refused, he refused. With me, Joseph said, in charge, he told her, My master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in the house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked, wicked thing and sin against God? So imagine this situation, right? You've been sold into slavery, and you are in a foreign land, And even though you are going through all of these troubles, you are appointed to a position of power within your terrible lot in life. And when all of a sudden a woman comes and tries to seduce you in order to go to bed with with Joseph. And this is exactly how Joseph finds himself in this situation. And this cannot be easy. If there is any reason that Joseph has to be able to enjoy a pleasure in life, it would be right now. But what does Joseph choose to do in this situation? Joseph understands that the offense that he would cause would harm who? Potiphar, the man that has entrusted Joseph with his whole entire household. Now, I find that to be really interesting because I do not know if men of, uh, in a similar situation would have that same character. If they would be willing to resist the temptation the way that Joseph has resisted the temptation. But what I find more interesting is not that just Joseph thinks that 
he would sin against Potiphar. But what does it say in verse 9 in the second part in particular? It says, how then could I do such a wicked thing in sin against God? Think about that. Joseph did not just see him sleeping with Potiphar's wife as a sin or an offense against who? Potiphar, but he saw it as what? A sin and an offense against God. And here's a question that I have for you. Why do you not do the evil things that you are tempted to do? Because here's the thing, there are times and circumstances when eyes are not watching and it is very easy to do things and get away with things, at least we think, when no one is watching. It could have been that Joseph could have very easily enjoyed this pleasure and got away with it. But the thing with Joseph was, is he saw this sin, not just as a sin against Potiphar, but ultimately a sin against God. How then could I do such a sin against God? I wonder, who are we when nobody is looking around? C.S. Lewis once said, integrity is doing the right thing even when no one is watching. Even when Potiphar wasn't around, Joseph saw that in this moment, he would ultimately be accountable to God. Who are you in secret? That is a hard question to ask because Chances are there are things that we wrestle with, things that we struggle with when nobody is around. But ultimately, we aren't just accountable to each other. We're accountable to who? To God. You see, thinking about this more within a positive light, we need to remember that the actions that we have have great impact on everybody around us. One of my favorite verses that deals with this thought comes from the book of Colossians 3, 23 through 24. It says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. So that means that in every single thing that we are to do, we are to ultimately do it for who? For God. Which means that all circumstances of life require us to think of it, think of life and our actions within that perspective. Are you doing what you're doing for yourself? Are you doing what you're doing because of somebody else? Or are you doing what you're doing for the Lord? Believe it or not, you can make every single action of your life a form of worship unto God. 
Now that could be a radical thought for some people, but believe it or not, you can. You can worship God while you're doing the dishes. You can worship God when you open a door for somebody else. You can worship God when you see somebody in need and you try to meet that need for them. Because I believe that the closer that you get to the Lord, the more you start to resemble him. And what better way to practice closeness to God than to take seriously all the actions that we make. Now, this is really hard because there are times where we know and look at our lives and know that what we're doing is probably not honoring the Lord. When we're driving out in the roads and somebody cuts us off, or when we're on that phone with that person that cares about us so much and assures us that quality is, is, is of the utmost importance and we're trying to deal with something on a telemarketer call or trying to repair something, right? In those moments, believe it or not, you can worship the Lord. I wonder what this situation would have looked like if Joseph decided to just give in to his own impulses. It flips the script when we think about our lives as people who are worshiping God in all that we do. But the hard thing is, is that we need to also consider others. You see, I think one of the reasons why we oftentimes get offended is because we don't always have love for others. In fact, I think some of the reasons why we give offense is because we don't always have love for others. I like this quote from a psychologist, Cunningham. He says this, we evaluate other people based upon their behavior, but we often evaluate ourselves based upon our intentions. What is trying to be said there? That we are quick to judge others based on the actions that they do, but rarely do we consider the intent. So, for instance, somebody blows past us in line or on the road or runs a red light, and we immediately become what? Angry. But rarely do we think about the intent behind that. And don't get me wrong, I'm sure 90% of the times it's just because somebody's in a rush. But can it be that sometimes somebody has a real emergency that's causing them to drive fast? I think it could be. But we typically will judge based on actions. But we desire for people to judge us based on what? Our intent. Because we know deep down inside that sometimes the actions and choices we make don't line up with our intent, right? The hard part is is allowing those two things to come together. How do you do that? Well, I think the easiest way to do that is to not let your actions be guided upon whether you like somebody or not. But rather, doing it onto the Lord. 
Because if Joseph wanted to allow his, uh, his actions to be guided upon his circumstances in life, then what should he do? Well, he should probably just try to figure out every single way he can get back what was stolen to him. And what better way to insult your master or the situation you found yourself in than to sleep with his wife? But instead, Joseph realizes that regardless of whatever circumstance he finds himself in, he needs to honor God. That is incredibly difficult to be able to uphold within life, to honor God with regardless of the circumstances that we find ourselves in. But here's the thing. We struggle at times to see God for who he really is. For whatever reason, when we think of God, we typically think of God like a judge or a jailer or just somebody who's ready to drop the hammer, right? When we do something wrong, God's right there ready to just pound us for it. But that isn't the character of God. How do I know this? I know this just even from how I interact with my own children. You know, they think probably at times that daddy is tough when daddy tries to tell them how to behave. But in reality, daddy is sad. I'm sad as a father when I see my kids do things that I know is not good for them. My correction in their life and my desires in their life are always meant to aid them in trying to be better people. Well, in the same way, I think that's God's perspective over us, that he always desires to bring us to places that are better for ourselves and doesn't act as a judge, but rather acts as a father. One of the greatest stories that I think demonstrates that within the gospel narrative is from the prodigal son. Some of you are probably familiar with this story, but just to share it with those that don't know it, two sons have a father who seems to be pretty well off. One of the sons, getting tired of the work that he has to do, decides to ask his father for an early inheritance. Dad, I want you to give me what you owe me if you were to die. Now, if you didn't know in the prodigal son's story, asking for an inheritance before someone's dead is basically saying, I wish you were dead so I can get my inheritance now. So the father surprisingly gives the son what he desires, and he gives him his inheritance. And the son goes off to a different land and squanders the whole thing on cheap living. And after he blows through all of his money, he realizes that he doesn't have any money to be able to take care of himself. Times are tough and there's a famine in the land, so he decides to work at a pig farm, the last place that you would want any Jewish person to work at. And while he's at the farm, he's looking at the meal that the pigs have, and he's so hungry that he's wanting to eat the same feed that the pigs are eating. 
realizing that he's hit the lowest point of his life, he realizes to himself that even his father's servants have it better off than he does as a pig farmer. So he goes back to his father with this plan. I'm going to go back to my dad, the one that I blew off, the one that I disrespected, and I'm going to beg him that he does not see me as a son, but rather that he would accept me as his servant. Because even the servants in his household are well taken care of. When word gets to the father that his son is returning, he rushes out of his home and runs up to his son and immediately decides to throw a party for him because his lost son has now been found. And he slaughters a fattened calf and throws a big feast for the return of his son. His other brother getting jealous over the situation and not understanding why his father would throw a feast for his brother. Instead, he thinks that his brother deserves to be punished. His father reminds him that his brother was lost, but now he's found. Why would Jesus share a story like this other than to remind each and every single one of us of the heart of God? You see, we are like that wandering son. We decide at different times of our life to disassociate from the Father, to desire every good gift from Him, but to squander it in the ways that we want to squander it. And eventually we realize that what we had from the Father was better than any life that we could make for ourselves. So what do we do? We hopefully go back to the Father. But expecting to get punished, what does the Father do for those that go to him? He throws a feast. He welcomes us. He takes off his ring and he places it on our finger. He clothes, he clothes us with fine clothing and robes. Jesus wanted every person listening to the prodigal son to hear the message well that the love of the father is bigger and better and greater than you could ever imagine. But for whatever reason, we think that God's love isn't existent, and instead we focus on his punishment. I believe that Joseph understood who God was. He understood who God was because he didn't want to offend God, because despite the terrible situation he found himself in, he obviously lived with the conviction that God was still a person worth praising and honoring. I think if I were to examine my life, sometimes my love for God and my devotion for him can be very conditional. And I think if we're honest with each other, it could be true for you as well. 
that your love for God or your love for others can be a conditional love. Where if I'm not receiving in life the way that I want to receive, then I'm going to do what? Limit what I give back. But you see, the kingdom of God is an upside-down kingdom. It's one where we oftentimes are called to do things in reverse, where the first are last and the last are first. And oftentimes we need to realize and think to ourselves that God is calling us to good things. You know, years ago, uh, I remember uh, hosting a missionary at our house, and my wife's walking in, she'll, she'll get a kick out of this story. He, he, was, uh, he was from Ireland, and he was doing mission work in uh, South Africa, and he was staying for, with us for a number of days for a conference that they had out here in Colorado. And him and I just, we just got off so great. And he, he, was, he was great. He never heard of the Cheesecake Factory before. So we decided to, to bring him there in order to get cheesecake. And literally every single day we had to go pick up cheesecakes at the Cheesecake Factory because he just loved it so much. He probably gained at least five pounds just in that short week that he was with us. Well, him and I were just spending pretty much every waking moment together just talking about things, and we got along so well, Stephen and I. And I remember eventually his Irish accent, even just in a short week, started to rub off on me. And we were all at the barn riding horses. Michaela wanted to put him on his first horse. And we were riding horses, and Michaela looks to me and she says, Kevin, stop talking like you're from Ireland. And not even trying to, I look back at her and I say, I'm not trying. <laughs> and what was happening there? Well, what was happening there is, is as I was spending time with this man, he was rubbing off on me. Hopefully I was rubbing off on him as well, but his traits and characteristics and the way that he spoke was starting to influence my own speech. Well, the same thing is true of God. When we draw to God, when we go to God, what happens? His goodness becomes our goodness. You see, I think one of the ways that Joseph was able to deal with all of the offenses that were being sent his way in life was because he abided in the Lord so that regardless of whatever circumstance he was in, God was rubbing off on him and he could still maintain the peace and the goodness of God. One of the greatest tools that you can use in the face of offense is to just try to run to God's presence, to go to God in prayer, to allow scriptures to wash over you, to allow good worship songs to be your songs of your heart, and to just spend time with the Lord. See, I think that's the only way Joseph could have gotten through a situation like this was by spending time with the Lord. But unfortunately for Joseph, 
even doing the right thing was received wrongly. Because in life, that's oftentimes what could happen. Because unfortunately, true justice will not be achieved until Jesus comes back. It should comfort us to know that true justice will be achieved one day in life, but it's not going to happen until Jesus comes back. So oftentimes, we will see in our own lives and the lives of others, good people who are wronged. In fact, I think if we can expect it, it might even help us to know that there will be times in life that you may be punished for doing the right thing. In fact, we even know that when the world goes more towards what we learn in the book of Revelation, that Christians and those that have faith will endure many hardships and trials for doing the right thing. In fact, Jesus warns us of this, that if they hated me, how much more will they hate you? So in some ways, if we allow our minds to know that offense will come our way, but we can go to God, then perhaps we can deal with offense in a better way. You see, I think oftentimes we feel like if our circumstances could be different, then we could achieve peace, right? If I had a larger bank account, then I can achieve peace. If I had better health, then I could achieve peace. If I lived in a place that had a better climate, then I could achieve peace. Although I don't think anybody would question that with the weather that we're having today, hopefully. But we deal with this at times, right? Where we think peace is a place, a place that we can arrive to. If only I lived here, if only I had these kinds of friends, if only my business was this kind of, achieved this kind of success, or my bank account was this big, or whatever, whatever, whatever. But you see, peace is not a place. Peace is a person. And that person is Jesus. Peace is not a place. It's a person. And that person is Jesus. Church, it's not necessarily a bad thing to want your circumstances in life to improve. In fact, I would say work hard to make those things a reality. But know that peace is not a place that you will arrive to. Your bank account can never be large enough to truly bring you peace. Your circumstances can never be good enough to truly bring you peace. Because at every single level of life, we will always encounter the troubles of life, regardless of how good things may appear on the outside. If you want to experience peace, you need to experience the person who is the prince of peace. Amen? You see, Joseph was able to maintain peace in his life and goodness in his life, not because everything was going his way, but rather because he did what? 
he maintained a relationship with the Prince of Peace in his life. And if you want to experience peace in your own life, the best thing that you can do is what? To abide and to cling and to experience Jesus on a daily life. Just as my wife said earlier in the service, we can't be those lambs that are circling around the master. We need to be able to live in a close relationship with the master. But that's hard sometimes, because what does that mean? That means that we need to say no to things that are natural desires. I'm sure for Joseph, there was a temptation there to be with who? With Potiphar's wife. But what does scripture show us? It says this in verse 11. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants were inside. And she caught him, Potiphar's wife that is, by his cloak, and he said, and she said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has brought to us, or was brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. And when he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she told him this story. That Hebrew slave you brought came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and he ran out of the house. When his master heard the story of his wife, uh, told him, saying, This is how you, your slave treated me, he burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. I titled this sermon today, No Good Deed Goes Unpunished, or Punished for Good. I think that's actually what I called it. Punished for Good. Again, it is a tragic thing when people are punished for doing something good. Maybe there is a moment in your life where somebody judged you wrongly. Maybe they didn't take the time to understand your intentions and just immediately judged you and wrote you off. Maybe you're dealing with a situation of being able to find peace in this world. And you've been searching for a place to arrive to. And you've convinced yourself that if you only had X, or if you only had Y, then you would have peace in your life. When the truth of God is, is that peace is not a place. It's a person. 
And the best way for you to be able to find and experience that peace in your life is to deepen that relationship with Jesus as a person. Amen? This is how we do it, church. This is how we overcome. This is how we're able to face the adversities of life, even when we are wrongly judged, and maintain the goodness and the peace that we have. Because here's the thing, as we continue to look at the life of Joseph in the weeks to come, you will see a story that is utterly remarkable how God is able to piece together all of these tragedies to bring about good. But the message that we need to hear for ourselves today is that regardless of the situations that we find ourselves in, we can experience an inner peace in life. We can take the offenses of life and put up a shield, so to speak, and not allow those offenses to cripple us and change us and make us different than who God is calling us to be. But the only way that we can accomplish that is if we continue to lean into Jesus Christ. This is why he came into the world, because he wanted to become our peace. It is so important for us to hear that and to know that and to experience that. You know, Phil was making fun of me about my lawn, and it's true, it looks bad. <laughs> And I'm in the process of reseeding it right now. So long story short, last year, uh, one of my um, irrigation lines totally, um, it, it ended up bursting from a freeze that we had. And because of that, I couldn't water my lawn. So my lawn is very pathetic. And obviously, one of the things that we try to do when we're trying to fix a lawn is we need to water it again. And I need to be thoughtful now at how I try to get this lawn to come back. I need to plant the seeds. I need to till the soil. I need to water at this time. But if all I do is just throw seeds and I don't till the soil or I don't water it or I pour vinegar over it, what's going to happen? Well, I'm going to probably have a worse lawn. <laughs> In the same way, Think about your life. Think about how you are feeding it. Are you adding vinegar to your life or water to your life? If Jesus is the water of life, 